We're going to win so much. We're going to win at every level. We're going to win so much, you may even get tired of winning. Hey, Jason, did you want to go to Cradle Filth on Thursday? You never answered me because you don't answer text. Andrew so, one time <laughs> turned it up to 11 and then now broke off and he just left it there. He just left it, man. Pork chop. Was lamb that a character? Chop. Pork chop. Lamb chop. <laughs> Pork chop. The lamb. <laughs> Listen, man. My favorite, my favorite sort of cartoon characters <laughs> from my childhood are. Uh, First off, <laughs> Philip Pork Hamill. Listen. Pork chop the lamb. Don't lean towards the microphone and continue to yell. I'm a big, I'm a big fan of Stink Frank Stinky Stinks. <laughs> what? I don't have a favorite Robin Hood movie because I haven't, uh... Because you're a fucking chump. Hey, microphone. listen. You can fuck yourself. We can cut that out. Hey, guys. Hey! Well, welcome to, uh... <laughs> Tired of Winning Podcast number 31. <laughs> it's our... Uh... Camouflage episode. <laughs> Because I don't know what can. the 31 31st anniversary is. It's like you can't you know, see like silver and gold and diamond and camouflage. The sadness, I think, is that people have become so accustomed to us going to war in the Middle East for various reasons that we've just sort of accepted it as a normal part of our American culture. And I think, I think honestly, I thought about this the other day. It's kind of been weird that we haven't been there as much lately. That's the thing, though. Most of my teens and 20s. The thing is, is that we have, we, well, we, we never left for sure. Yeah. That, and we've been on the ground in Syria. We've had troops on the ground in Syria, um, in like an advisory capacity sure. and, uh, you know, training and helping out the Syrian rebels, arming them to fight against Assad and then arming different Syrian rebels to fight against, uh, ISIS, and then the other rebels that were fight, uh, arming to fight Assad, and then arming the uh, the Kurds to fight against ISIS, ISIS, Assad, and Turkey, and then of course we sell arms to Turkey, and they fight against uh, the Kurds, and not really against ISIS, and then of course, I mean, we, we fund Saudi Arabia, as, I mean, not fund, but we sell weapons to Saudi Arabia, who right. element there are elements within Saudi Arabia that have been uh that funded ISIS and um well, not know, to mention Al Qaeda. Oh yeah, we we funded uh Al Nusra in in Syria, which is basically what Al Qaeda kind of rebranded as in Syria. <laughs> and we were funding them to fight against Assad. Right. Well, and and the, I'll, the best thing about the situation is that the government of Syria prior to the Arab Spring, was fully cooperative in the war on terror, um, supportive of the invasion of Iraq, is a totally neoliberal government that like privatized all of the state-owned sector in Syria um, over the last several decades, mm -hmm. and is, in fact, the product of a coup to topple an existing sort of Republican socialist government right. from before. So like, it's the natural ally of the United States in the region, but the minute it becomes unstable, you know, the vultures that run like Israel and Saudi Arabia and the U.S. are like, let's go tear it apart. Well, you, you have to you have to factor. That's in. what you get for you. <clears throat> Once you become a weak friend, it's like a. But I don't think it's just that they're a weak friend. I think I think it's also that they're they have support from Russia and China. Well, no, I mean they they 
got support do, from Russia and they China. They do now. Yeah, in order to stand up to the U.S. Um, you know, Syria's got a claim to the Golan Heights, uh, which was stolen from them by Israel, and is the eternal enemy of Israel, mm. um, at least on paper. And Israel right. wants a compliant regime in Syria, so they want to um, they want to topple Assad and put in, you know, some sort of right something that that will play ball with them and let them essentially oversee all of the Middle East. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, like like in Libya, with this ultra jihadi. Uh, slave sellers that run Libya now. Right. Um, really, the whole situation in the Middle East is obviously it's, abhor- it's horrifying, right? And it is, like you said, it, it's kind of like white noise at a certain point. Like, oh, whatever, we launched some airstrike on Damascus. Like, yeah, what else is fucking new? But the thing that makes this one significant, not significant, the thing that makes it different mm-hmm. uh, is the very real possibility of accidentally sparking like a much broader conflict. Do you think it's an accident, though? I mean, I don't think I don't think anybody sees it as in the national interest to like go into like a direct military confrontation with like Russia by, you know, bombing an area that has like Russian soldiers in it and killing them. Um, and a lot of people, a lot of analysts have pointed out that like Russia's militarily not actually strong enough to stand up to the U.S. Mm-hmm. But then China just like formally came on board as like a strategic military partner to Russia in the event right. of this confrontation. <clears throat> right. And where does, where does like North Korea lie in all this? Oh, this is fascinating. This is even news today. Yeah. So, so to back up a little bit, uh, supporters of Donald Trump have been like really excited about sort of point, thumbing their noses at us by, by pointing out that... Uh, would, Kim, would, they, would they fart in our general direction? <laughs> in your general direction. Your mother was a hamster and your father smelt of elderberries. <laughs> no, and uh, like because because Kim Jong-un has agreed to like, it sort of put out feelers to have a meeting with Donald Trump mm-hmm. about de- denuclearization. They're like, oh, look, our policy works. But the very first thing that they do is they go to China. Right. He goes to China first, then he comes back, and then they announce that, oh, we're going to sign a peace treaty with South Korea. And then we're going to talk to Donald Trump, which means right. that, like, we're going to get in really tight with the Chinese. We're going to take away your the, your justification for having troops in Korea at all. Right. And now let's have a meeting. Yeah, but basically remove all your leverage. Yeah, basically, because it, <clears throat> it looks like what they're doing is they've totally outmaneuvered Donald Trump, which is amazing considering how good of a deal maker he is. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's funny that is that just a few episodes back, we were watching the State of the Union. And we marveled in horror at how well Trump was able to outmaneuver the Democrats. And yet, as a world player, he's very easily outmaneuvered. I think all that says is that, like, <laughs> Schumer and Pelosi and their ilk are might, even bigger morons. Literally might be the worst negotiators of all time. Yeah. They're also like... <laughs> the, yeah, I mean, the Democrats in the United States, especially congressional Democrats are hapless morons. They don't even know how to win by the rules that they rigged the game with. Democra- the Democrats are the DNC, you know, the Democratic Party structure, Yeah, is ideologically wed to neoliberalism at this point. They oh, are 
equally culpable in the deaths of a million Iraqis and the destabilization of the Middle East, the rise of ISIS. Um, well, I mean, let's not forget that Hillary Clinton has been calling for airstrikes on the Syrian airfields for like the last two years. Wasn't it oh, funny? I know. Wasn't it? Um, I think, Chris, you posted something about Donald Trump commenting on bombing Syria when Obama was in office. Yeah. He and, said it was, it was a bad idea and that uh, Obama shouldn't do it without congressional approval. Right, and now he's flipped, and he essentially is acting in that in that same way. Conversely, um, you know, the left has been calling for no, not the left, the Democrats. Well, sorry, the Democrats. We shouldn't we shouldn't cede that terminology to them. They're the center, well, They're the centrists. To the extent that it it's a a term that is used to describe them, it, it's kind of like something we we should take it back. Yeah, like a. Yeah, that's good. This, Dude, nothing's threatening anymore. You know what? The only thing that threatening that you can be is uh, a, an opponent of airstrikes in Syria, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Although, like, look at how much of a no. I think are. I think I think you could still be rebellious in claiming that the free market and capitalism is inherently um, a horrible system. Right. That's true. Actually, like, because you know, even if you're if you want to be countercultural and transgressive. You gotta get with the real left. Wait, wait, hey, what's this thing that you posted about the uh, from Fox News? A screenshot, the left's response on Syria: "Shut up and obey." Oh, I was watching uh, Tucker Carlson's interview with Glenn Greenwald. Who? Tucker Carlson is that dork that used to wear a fucking blazer and khakis to high school and carry his briefcase and argue for a strict constitutionalist standpoint and say he was a classical liberal, all grown up with his own TV show. And uh, he's usually fucking insufferable and just one of those typical Fox News hosts that right. I guess I guess is supposed to be uh, less obnoxious because he's wearing a bow tie, but he's not. But anyway, so he had Glenn Greenwald on, and um, Gr Glenn Greenwald is good. He, he's great. He's a fucking national treasure. He really, uh, um, speaking of national Glenn treasure. Glenn Greenwald <laughs> is even more of a national treasure than national treasure itself. Which is a fucking great movie. Which Anyway, anyway so, so he Chris was is on, in the middle of making a point. He was on fucking uh, Tucker Carlson's show uh, <laughs> talking about Trump bombing Syria. And Tucker Carlson and Ann Coulter and, you know, all these all these people on the far right. Right. Not the far, far right, like, you know. Yeah, the, the Fox uh, News right. We're are hardcore against the bombing of Syria. And guess who's not? The fucking Democrats. No, of course not. <laughs> With the exception of people like Bernie Sanders. You know? Sure. Well, because I think the Democrats think that if they come out in favor of bombing Syria, that when the election time comes around, that they'll appeal to the... To the the Rust Belt in the South and Middle America that that they think um, supports military strength. I think that's. I mean, so that's true in terms of like uh, imaging and, and messaging or whatever. But also, like, the election of Donald Trump is seen by them as an aberration because, like, the sort of multipolar. That's not quite the right way to put it. Um, is that like? Lots of polar bears? 
Yes, and I'm I'm for a multipolar world. Different polar bears. No, like they're all creeds. You know, they're in favor of like multilateral <coughs> trade agreements that like, encompass like whole parts of the globe, like the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which is why people like uh, Alex Jones call them globalists, right? Mm-hmm. They're uh, globalists. They're the NAFTA people. They're the breakdown trade I mean, barriers. They they're are. the neoliberals. I mean, and they so, are globalists in right. the truest sense of the term. Yeah, like they. Uh, Collect. They're all perfectly round, <laughs> <laughs> and and Trump, you know, is at least at least originally was like for unilateral trade and for you know the America First position. And mm. The Democrats want war because their entire conception of America the, of this country's role in the world is like an empire, yeah. which dominates in a very literal sense, like an empire. Um, but so every time I, Trump's like, I'm going to go bomb somebody in another country, the Democrats are like, oh, finally, he's getting with the program. We're supposed to run everything. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're, so, they're elitist in every sense of the term. That's why this is why Alex Jones broke down on his show and cried and said, Donald Trump shit his fucking pants at the fucking moment of truth. He, know, said, he said he's finally like given up on Trump because right. he says the globalists have got him. Well, you know, I I don't know if you know this. I, I actually emailed Alex and... He's got a few minutes if we want to try to call into him and talk about his opinion of Trump after the Syria bombing. I mean, if that's okay with you guys. What do you think? Should I know I'm kind him? of sprung this on you, but we haven't heard from him in a long time. Sure. Um, yeah, we can, we can call Alex. All right, let's that's try to bring him me. in. Let's bring him in now. Alex, are you there? Uh, hello? <laughs> Hi, Alex. It's been a long time. Oh, yeah, yeah, it really has. Uh, uh, how are y'all doing out there in, in California? Well, to be honest, we're, we're a little um, concerned about the state of the, the things going on in the world, especially as it relates to Syria. We're, we're a little confused. Yeah. I thought, I they, thought... they finally got him. I mean, I knew they would. You got people uh, that are in his White House currently drugging mm-hmm. his Diet Cokes, of which he drinks approximately 14 a day, uh, <laughs> with mind control serum, and uh, using him to do the will of the globalists. You've got people like Jared Kushner in there who are not Jews. I mean, well, he is Jew, but... Uh, would, you, would you say that's relevant to his in- involvement in... Uh turning Trump, as you would say? Um, well, he's not Jewish, like, in the sense that he controls the economy. And, uh, but, but he does. Uh, the thing is, though, is he he's a Jew, like, like, like the good kind. Except he's not, you know, he's bad. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, science what I'm trying, I understand. I think we're following What I'm trying to say is, there's Jews, and then there's Jews, you know? There's <laughs> you Jews like, that there's are cool. Jews, there's the Jews. <laughs> yeah, there's, I mean, you know what I mean. Like, he he's the, he, there's the kinds of Jews, you know, that you see that, that they're cool. They, you know, they like, just wear regular clothes, and they, uh, you know, they're not too funny, uh. They're not too sarcastic. <laughs> and then there's the Jews, you know, I mean. Right. The ones that are like, 
like snapping at you from their <laughs> Brooklyn apartments oh, from behind okay. their from their behind their computers with their uh, on their Twitters, you know, saying uh saying things like Alex Jones is absolutely insane because right. he believes that, you know, the Jews control the media and stuff like that. Even though I never said that. I right, never so, have once ever said that. You know so, what I mean? So, so just, just to make sure I'm following you, Alex Jones, what you, Alex Jones, are saying is that um, the Jews, not to be confused with just regular Jews, have, uh, have mind-controlled Donald Trump through his Diet Cokes, and that's what's led to this war, this bombing of Syria. Not the Jews. Let me, let me get it straight. The Kushners. <laughs> The Kushners, okay, okay. and so, and the Rothschilds, and uh, the the uh, you know the bankers. Right, but you know the gold, I mean? not not the Goldsteins. Not <laughs> well, some Goldsteins, okay, and some Silvers, and some definitely Soroses, and uh, you know <laughs> uh, a few. Um, Okay, so, so listen, before we before we run out of time so, on this, so uh, what you would say is that here. there's a few bad eggs, right? Uh, yes, a few bad, a few bad, bad, horrible, uh, mind controlling, demon, uh, uh, globalists. Actually, you know, why is, your, why is your shirt off? <laughs> Put your shirt back on. Alex. Wait, we want to ask you a question about um about about Russia and Assad and uh, and how do you think this whole thing is going to shake out in the in the whole Syrian war? Well, basically, I mean, speaking of men with their shirts off, have you ever seen Putin with his shirt off? Yes, we peak, have many times. Peak performance of a human male is embodied in Vladimir Putin. I mean, he is out there fighting the good fight for Western Christianity against the hordes of Islam. You know what I mean? Um, uh, and so is Bashar al-Assad. They are, uh, you know, pillars of democracy, the two of them. So, so or at yeah. least of, of, a, of a Western civilization. I mean, it's like the same thing, you know. Right, right, it, right. One naturally follows the other. Right, and, and how would you? How, I mean, I, I don't know much about Putin. I'm not much of a historian. But but how did he come to have such a perfect manly physique? It's just like years of training. Oh, he's been taking my supplements for you know thirty years now. <laughs> <laughs> so so you guys you guys fixed the uh, some of the issues with the ingredients that that had pretty horrific side effects. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. All right, great. Well. Um, it's, I guess it's, it's, it's brilliant insight that, um, what has led to Trump's decision to go back on his word of nationalism and lead airstrikes into Syria. Um, any final words, uh, Alex, I know you're a busy guy and you got to get back to whatever you do. Yeah. Uh, well, currently, uh, embroiled in a little bit of a lawsuit because <laughs> I rightfully pointed out that, uh, all of the children killed at Sandy Hook were crisis actors, and it never happened. Uh, so oh. apparently, I'm being sued for that. Uh, oh. And, oh, I'm also currently being sued for sexual harassment uh, by multiple people, and uh, 
for some reason, I have no idea why. Like, you know me. You, you, you boys know me. You know that I am the least racist person on the planet, and I have never once said anything anti-Semitic. But <laughs> there are all these three minutes ago. <laughs> there are all these charges of anti-Semitism that all these damn Jews are throwing around at me, and Would I don't say understand it's... why. Would you say it's a conspiracy of the globalist banking cabal that you're being charged with anti-Semitism? I would definitely say that. It's a well, conspiracy of the uh, Zionist occupational government. I mean, the globalist banking cabal. <laughs> right. That is, uh, well, you know, listen, we headquartered in New York City in Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> we certainly wish you uh, the best. And should these charges prove to be frivolous, that you prevail. And um, I, I definitely think you should put your shirt back on and pants, sir, if you don't mind. Uh, but thank you for coming on the show and, and, and giving us a few minutes of your insight. All right, boys. You have a good one. The right, Republic thanks, will be defended and the globalists will be defeated. Good night. <laughs> Man, I always love when Alex visits the show. That's Yeah, I really feel like I learned so much when we talked to him. You know, yeah, me too. Sorry, I didn't have much to contribute there. I uh, well, do the tech. I like I like to just let Alex talk. You know, well, like, the problem just is, like is to bask in it. I saw you were taking notes over there. Yeah, the problem oh, is, oh, I did. I took a lot of notes. Did you get all the steens? <laughs> <laughs> all the steens in different bergs and whatnot. Yeah, you never know. We'll put a whole list. we'll put a flow chart on our Instagram <laughs> for anyone who who needs a little help following that. So I guess <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I guess what we're looking at is, is the conversion of Trump from a supposed uh, America first nationalistic philosophy of draining the swamp of traditional war, uh, war hawks to what's essentially a neocon. Oh, uh, Trump has made the transition to full neocon. He, um, he uh, wants to reinstate the, uh, the Trans-Pacific Partnership that... Mm-hmm he basically ran on opposing because it's something that Obama and the neocons and the neolibs all really, really, really wanted to pass, you know, because they love trade agreements. That's their bread and butter. That's uh, the most profitable way to exploit both the people of the United States and the countries that we're, uh, you know, signing these partnerships with. It drives down wages in the United States and it gets us, cheap labor overseas and cheap resources overseas. So, you know, Trump was, came out against that uh, in, in his, uh, when he was running for president because he rightfully said that it, stuff like that has destroyed the productive base of mm-hmm. the United States and he wanted to bring those jobs back. So now he wants to reinstate that t- uh, Trans-Pacific Partnership because he realizes that the trade war that he started with China is bad for the fucking economy. <laughs> so, so that's interesting, right? Because he he, oh. he he was able to garner an entire fan base based on this idea of focusing on America first, right? The, the quote unquote "Make America Great Again." Well, yeah. So what does that What does that lead us in three years when he's gone back on every single promise that he's made? One one really cool thing that he's accomplished by make uh, making America great again by putting America first uh, is. By starting this sort of like not quite full on trade war, but these sort of skirmishes with China in the in the realm of tariffs, uh, China today announced a 172 percent increase on sorghum prices uh, imported into the United States from China. 
So effective uh, tomorrow morning, actually. So if you have any favorite sorghum-based products, uh, go just, buy them like right now. Well, just just for anyone who may may or may or not know what sorghum is, like what what are some of these things that will very soon be unaffordable for the average American? Oh yeah, what the fuck is sorghum? <laughs> <laughs> um, for those uh, for those of our audience who might not know, no, we what know. Sorghum is just so everyone knows, we know. Yeah, but in case. You guys don't know. It's it's a grain. Sorghum's a grain. It's like, you know, barley, wheat, sorghum, etc. Yeah. So guys, its science its scientific classification is uh, plantae, and it's an angiosperm monocot. <laughs> uh, I mean, <laughs> I don't man. You know, it's sorghum. What is it for? What does sorghum do? Is it like an MSG? It's in all kinds of stuff. It's not like, okay, nobody has a favorite <laughs> sorghum-based product. Hold on, sir. Have you <laughs> ever had the sea salt sorghum with almonds in it with a hint of cayenne? Mmm, that <laughs> sounds pretty tasty. Have you had a sorghum uh, cleanse? Have you been on the sorghum cleanse yet? It's funny that you mentioned that. I haven't tried, I to, get my, to, I haven't tried to get my summer body back, and so I've been on that sorghum cleanse. You add a little cayenne and lemon to it. It's just, it's, everything just has cayenne. Is that... <laughs> Andrew's learning how to cook, well, and he's his expanded his spice rack from salt so, and pepper to cayenne. salt and pepper and cayenne. And sriracha. And what? I, and sriracha? So, oh, sriracha. <laughs> yes, I see. Uh, Why are you oh, making fun of my the, accent? Racist? It's a, it's a Mexican, spi- it's a Mexican uh, hot sauce? Yeah. I don't fuck with yeah. that mayonnaise, though. That's too spicy for me. So what I'm wondering is that, like, uh, based on how things have gone so far, like Trump... Uh, raised the prospect of higher tariffs, and he, he announced um, a list of commodities that they were going to raise tariffs on, and mm-hmm. China responded in kind. And then China, sort of, the way it's been reported is that they sort of backed down a little by saying, we don't really want a trade war or whatever. And um, then they immediately, like within days, slapped this new uh, set of tariffs. What I'm wondering is, do we have an administration that's going to just go full on into a trade war and announce another series of no. things? No. Or are, or is Trump going to back down? No, because I, I, it's pretty obvious that Trump is... It, we've said this multiple times. He's a, he's a soft... He has soft moral... Um, he's got a soft moral he, he doesn't, core. He doesn't have an ideology. He will be swayed by the last person to say anything to him in the room, or the person whose opinion he respects the most. And I kind of think that he's gonna get, you know, talk talk down off the ledge, just like he did. Like he didn't unleash hellfire on Russia uh, for talking shit the way he wanted to. Right. That's true. Yeah. That's true. In Syria, yeah. um, the Pentagon like dramatically restrained him because apparently he was wanting to mount like a huge assault i mean you know still just in terms of airstrike sure but so that's what i'm wondering like right the thing that i'm wondering is that like since we know that trump actually had wanted to launch like a much bigger more uh encompassing assault on syria and he was restrained by the pentagon mm-hmm. like, we know he has the capacity to sort of lash out you know like in like a petulant child because well, that's, that's essentially that's what obvious, we're dealing yeah. with right but what i'm wondering is that uh, is is he going to be restrained in the realm of the trade war as well. You know Basically, what? when I, are the globalists going to stop restraining our commander-in-chief? Well, yeah, yeah. Honestly, to be honest, I don't I don't feel like 
You're right. He's definitely a petulant child, but he's also a coward. He's all. He's also someone who lacks resolve. In you know, for like for like all the criticisms that we have about Trump, the one thing that you can't claim is that he's got that George W. Bush stubbornness. No, that's true. He doesn't have any of the kind of like clarity of purpose or like conviction to carry out. I mean, to even carry out the full weight, like the full thought that he entered a sentence with. Right, because he, so, uh, like, regardless of whether it was like through outside influences or his own sort of fear of making a, a, a drastic mistake, almost immediately after the after the bombings, he was like talking about trying to pull troops out and get get the involvement out. Well, and before though, that's the very. He was talking about wanting to get you know completely um, withdraw and wash our hands of the Syrian conflict. That he, and then he that launched he initiated, an airstrike, and then he was like, ah, well, you know, it's not that all that. Like he doesn't. Yeah, I, I guess I don't. I wonder what the what the end game is supposed to be. He doesn't have an end game. He doesn't have an end game. That's that's the, such the weird thing about Trump. He's a gunslinger. He literally just shoots from the hip and kind of just shoots in whatever direction he heard last. Well, yeah, he um he's not handled as well as George W. Bush was. Like, you know, <clears throat> he was kind of he was an anti-establishment candidate in the sense that he wasn't part of the neoconservative structure. He definitely has been um pretty much brought into line for the most part, mm-hmm. but uh, he's still a little bit of a, a loose cannon. He's still a, a little bit of an unknown commodity to them because he came up with like his handlers being people like, you know, Gorka and um, Steve Bannon, who were actually far right, um, you know, basically alt-rightists. Mm-hmm. And, uh, they're gone now. He doesn't have that anymore. Now he's got military establishment people around him. Now he's got uh, John Bolton, who is just the the personification of neo uh, neoconservative warmongering, which and is the got, same as like, neoliberal warmongering. Yeah, I mean, basically, the term neoliberal is used to describe a system that encompasses neoconservatism within it. You know. Neoliberal as opposed to classical liberal. Like neoliberal being Obama being one instance of neoliberalism and uh, George W. Bush being, you know, the other end of neoliberalism as opposed to like the classical liberalism of, you know, John Locke. Right. Right? Yeah. But uh, so, um, I mean, he's now surrounded by a bunch of people who uh, are trying to pull him into line but he's still, you know, a stubborn, senile old man. So he's going to lash out every once in a while. Well, so like the the inability to discern an endgame when it comes to to Trump, that makes plenty of sense. But I guess what I'm wondering is more like in terms of American policy in Syria, what is actually the desired outcome? Because if you go back from the beginning of the Syrian civil war to now, the U.S.'s conduct has been fairly schizophrenic in the region. Mm-hmm. Um, Trump isn't the first, you know, like all throughout the Obama administration, it seemed like we sort of called for a Syria without Assad. It really stayed really far away from actually pushing for it. Mm-hmm. And for, you know, not for nothing, like we, they, they accomplished regime change in Iraq and 
basically set the country on fire for generations to come. You know? Right. Um, right. And so I think that they know that like the at the actual end of the of the government of Bashar al-Assad is. Uh, it's just going to reproduce the Iraq situation on a broader scale. Right. It already kind of has just the attempt to overthrow him. So I guess, I guess when I say what is the end game, I don't just mean in terms of the dumbest man alive, which is Donald Trump, um, or at least the dumbest man in charge of anything significant like a whole country. But I mean, like right. in terms of the United States overall, like in terms of the Pentagon and the in the NSA, like what do they actually want to achieve in Syria? And that's sort of a rhetorical question because I just don't know if it's all that. I don't clear. know if they know. Um, no, I, I, I don't doubt that there's some sort of overarching long-term goal for Syria. I've heard a lot of different theories. Um, one of the ones that I've come across most recently is that they just want to keep Syria in a perpetual state of uh, instability. Uh, they don't want to take out and replace Assad. They want an unstable conflict producing uh, just regional volatility in order to be able to justify um, propping up this one against the other one and, you know, pos- uh, posturing against uh, posturing against Russia, posturing against Iran, um, you know, being able to play up these gigantic threats and, you know, maintain America's war footing, right? Right. I mean, I guess it's, war footing. it's not like it's the case that stability is good for business. I mean, like, it is if you're China, and right. business means building infrastructure um, in places like Kazakhstan and whatever. But if you're the United States and your primary export is arms, and your primary the primary engine of your economy is arms spending, instability is good for business. Well, it's funny. So it could it, just be as simple as that. Mm, yeah. Afghanistan has been good for business. Iraq is good for business. Why shouldn't Syria be as well? Right, and, and it, it kind of reminds you of that scene from Wolf of Wall Street when Leonardo DiCaprio is talking to Matthew McConaughey, and he's... Matthew McConaughey's character is like a more veteran Wall Street broker. He's trying to explain how, how it works. And Leonardo DiCaprio, through his sort of uh, naiveness, is like, oh, but you want to make money for your clients. He's like, no, that's not the end game. The end game is just keeping them in the system ongoing while we make commission and we just recycle these, this, these imaginary made-up deals that these people constantly reinvest in and just stay perpetually trapped in the system. And I feel like in a lot of ways, that's our U.S. foreign policy, right? Just keep all these these countries that have some value to us in a perpetual state of chaos ongoing. And it, it and just, this just occurs It kind of reminds me, me like, of that scene in Teen Wolf. <laughs> <laughs> when the guy, Where he's... When, uh, when I forget the name of the guy, but he asks... He surfs on the car? Yeah. It kind of reminds me a lot of that. That's yeah. American foreign policy. It's like it doesn't really matter what happens, man, as long as you just You're just trying to bounce on the trunk of a truck. Man. As long as you have a good time. Um, so it occurs to me that um, you know, trying to embroil uh, Russia or um, Iran in a war where they have to go uh, dollar for dollar against the United States. Dollar dollar bill, y'all. Uh, a proxy war where Iran and Russia have to go dollar for dollar against the United States and Saudi Arabia ends up in a much weaker and much poorer Russia and Iran, which is good for the United States foreign policy aims. Right. I mean, that's, I guess that is basically what it's about. It's, it's about 
retaining and spreading U.S. hegemony, because the real yeah. the real conflict to come is with China, and right. so any yeah. positioning you can do to weaken the position of China, which in this case would be vis vis, -vis its allies, Russia, Iran, whatever. Um, yeah, it's really cool that at least there has been like a massive sort of outpouring of outrage uh and a sort of the return to the anti-war movement people in the streets you know liberals kind of finding their their i'm just kidding none of that's happening oh wait you know what you guys remember did? like right after trump was elected and i said hey liberals welcome back to the anti-war movement yeah like, right so, predictions I'm, for 2018 I'm, which did not come we, true we kind of kind of yeah shit the bed on that one So today for our mailbag, <laughs> all right. So for today for our mailbag, we have something a little bit different. Our senior correspondent, all the way from our Austrian desk, Leah Martin Brown. She came all the way here just to ask a question. I did. I, I did. I, I jumped on that plane just just for this. Look to me, this is just further evidence that Australia doesn't actually exist. <laughs> I mean, right. don't tell anyone. <laughs> Listen, I, we won't tell anyone that you Nobody, guys are with Germany. The accent is obviously phony. Wasn't that Japan? No, Australia. Pretty sure it's probably nope. south of Germany. Yeah, well, no, it's north of Germany. It's Austria. Oh, Same fucking thing. Fucking sm smarty pants up in here. Mm -hmm. uh, um, actually, it's pronounced <laughs> Austria. <laughs> actually. Okay. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that Austria is... Uh, you know, southeast of Germany, yeah, though, right? It's, it's, a, it's a fake place. We're all paid actors. It's all crisis actors. That's yeah. where that's <laughs> Australia is a country crisis of crisis actors. actors. Yes. Wait, does that mean that Australia is just in perpetual crisis? Yes. Oh. I mean, yes. have you met an Australian? You, yes, I have. <laughs> have you met me? I'm perpetually in crisis. <laughs> so I, I know that we are supposed to believe that Australia is in crisis because I see evidence of it on the internet all the time. Like, there are giant spiders that will jump out of the corners of your house and attack you they're like <laughs> that's true sharks. and there are there are poachers who are trying to stop uh they're trying to get all the golden eagles because of their feathers I and yeah one. yeah there's also there, that there's just a couple of mice between the poachers and the, oh, and yeah. the extinction of the golden <laughs> eagles yeah. oh and don't forget about the, the the emerald mine that the child nearly drowns in well, oh, yeah. oh, I did forget about yeah, that. Yeah, you did forget about that. That was a thing. The best part about this is that Andrew has no headphones. <laughs> I can't. <and> just, <laughs> I you guys are giving me the hiccups. I couldn't hear one side of the conversation. How am I meant to get, ask a question if I have these This hiccups? is basically, this is exactly how this podcast works. Someone tries to talk, and then the other two people talk over them. Okay, so I'm just going to accept the premise that Australia is a real place. Okay. For, and, the, for, uh, listen, for the sake of argument. Right. Um... <laughs> And let's talk about Australia's national treasure and greatest import, uh, Paul Hogan of Crocodile Dundee fame. <laughs> I right? mean, um, I wait, thought wait, you were going to say... Whoa, um, over Steve Irwin? I was going to say Steve Irwin, but if you want to say Paul Hogan, that's fine. Listen, well, Paul Steve Hogan can't hold a candle to Hulk Hogan. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there we go. That is, that is mad true, because Hulk Hogan doesn't even need him. But, but, but Paul Hogan was part of Hogan's spirit. I feel like this, is a, this a, is a conversation that's point, before, counterpoint. My, be, before my time, to be honest. This is this is way before any. This is we're talking about the future yeah. right now. This is like right. Australia's in the future. People this is like that, that meme where um, in Australia they have what's the wrestling dude. We do the wrestling dude. Yeah, Andre the Giant. It's 
<laughs> Shit. <laughs> Ultimate Warrior. Um, Crocodile Dundee. It doesn't matter now. The we Bushwhackers. Gotta... Hey, the Bushwhackers from Australia. What are the Bushwhackers? I think they're actually from New Guinea. All right, all right. What you gotta tone it down, man. She's trying to ask they're a question. They're from New Guinea. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Okay. 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 Anyways, Mailbag. guys, this is a serious podcast. Yes. Be serious. <laughs> I'm an adult. I do adult things like drink a bottle of red wine. Yeah, exactly. And then half today. Okay. <laughs> Oh, I, I just thought that was some old ass juice. It was. That's technically <laughs> what still, wine is. Still juice. Still juice. Okay, I have the hiccups. Excuse me. Um, what do you think the implications of the strike on Syria will mean for U.S. Russia relations? Bad. <laughs> Probably bad. <laughs> Probably bad. I don't think it's a good thing at all. Can I? Um. Well. Yeah. Chris, you want to go first? <laughs> <laughs> Honestly. I think that America is going, has flexed its muscles mightily, and that Russia will just cower in awe of our <laughs> military superiority and back down. And the next thing you know, there's going to be uh, American flags flying over Russia, not because we conquered them, just because they voluntarily converted to Americanism. If I can change. And you can change. Everybody can change. Because they realize so, how amazing we are. I think that that's spot on. When you consider, um, look, okay, just let's just take the some of the world leaders and kind of do some stats and put them up against each other to see who's most likely to come out ahead here. Like, over on this corner, you've got Vladimir Putin who made a career in the KGB during the Soviet Union, somehow in the collapse of the Soviet Union, he sort of like rose to the top and became president. Mm -hmm. um, he basically rebuilt the economy. He pacified the oligarchs and kind of brought them under his wing. Right. Sort of allied with the mafia. He sidelined the Communist Party, even as they were making a return. Right. He's a fairly ruthless political actor. Rides bare shirtless. Yeah. Yes, Andrew really needed to say rides bare shirtless. <laughs> but then on the other hand, you have Donald Trump. <laughs> Soft, <laughs> the softest motherfucker in charge of anything. So, you got to think about this. I mean, like, in defense of my boy, uh, of my boy Don. Donny? I mean, he came, he came up from nothing. In the 1970s, he went out on his own with nothing but, like, a song in his heart and a small loan of a million dollars <laughs> from That's his true. Dad. I mean, seriously, what on earth do you think... You could accomplish with only a million dollars. my house these days for a million dollars. His his trust fund would have been larger if he hadn't have spent it all. Well, cocaine and hookers aren't Listen, cheap. Listen, you gotta spend and, money I to mean, make money. That's babe. true, that's true. He did well. Think about it, though. Adjusted for inflation, that's somewhere in between six and seven million dollars. No, that's so, nothing. Like, that's, that's all nothing. he had. You can't even buy a loaf of bread for I that. I mean, like, that, yeah, that's, like, that's nothing. It, essentially, I mean, like, what does a, a loaf of bread even cost? You know, eleven dollars, seventeen, something like that. In California, does. forty-eight. That's all. That's 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 all he had, and he was able to take that money and uh, turn it into this empire worth millions and millions. Well, think about all the last I mean, the lasting. Brands. Yeah, he could have just he could have just put it in like a low yield fund and made this more money. Than <laughs> so that, that would be easy, but. But all, all he did, he, he only went bankrupt like nine right. times. Yeah, and think so about you know what you know what they the the old adage, it doesn't matter how many times you go bankrupt, it's how many times you get yourself out of bankruptcy. 
Yes. Mm. 